Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to, hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Another weekend in the books, another weekend of extraordinary college tennis for us to break down on today's show. Joining me on the show to do that, as they always do, the two other members of our Crack Rackets, Holy Trinity, when it comes to all things college tennis. Let's start where we always start. You know him as a former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, your favorite writer for our website, CrackedRackets.com. I'm going to try and coax an article out of him, by the way, over the next couple of weeks because there's a lot going on in the tennis world. And, of course, the other half of Baylor's Nick Stokowiak. It's Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, hey, great shot as always. How are you doing, my friend? Doing good, man. Doing very good. I will uh, have to get back on the article grind. There is a lot going on. I mean, I, me and you, we haven't talked any pro tennis ATP um, in quite some time. So I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we'll hop on a pod or something. But um, yeah, got to get back at it, man. Just been so busy. We got so much college tennis going on, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. That sounds good to me. By the way, next week, a little sneak peek for all of our listeners, we have both the North Carolina men's and women's coaches going on, and we get accused of enough Carolina homerism anyways that I feel like it wouldn't be weird if we did a Carolina week. So maybe we'll have you write about like the teams that have won both the men's and women's championships in the same year, because there's a chance that happens this season. That could be interesting. We'll just I'm just floating that out there because that's what we do here at Cracked Rackets. Uh, that's why I'm the editor-in-chief. I suppose that's where the ideas come from, folks. Anyways, joining us on the other on the other line, our third member of our college tennis holy trinity. Of course, you may know him as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions never far from the listed UTR. One of the many dames who roots for the Liberty Flames, lover of mothers, lover of almond joys, the snitch, the professor. He quotes Henry Ford, and today he is live at his beloved Liberty. It's Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot as always. Have you enjoyed your week? Oh, so far, good week. I, I missed the one-arm designer part of the intro. I don't know where that went, but uh, but other than that, yeah, I am, uh, as you stated, live in Lynchburg at the home of the Liberty Flames. Got to see the brand new digs there. It's looking very sweet and can't, looking forward to seeing a couple matches this week. Yeah, uh, first of all, once you're on the road and you can travel 10 hours to a destination, you have two arms again. You're functional, so you're no longer <laughs> a one-arm designer. You're back to two. But, no, I, I, I talk about this all the time. People want to know what my and Chris' relationship is off of camera. I call him while he's on his drive up to Lynchburg, and he goes, man, like, I think I'm passing Charleston, West Virginia. And I'm like, well, are, do you see the big gold dome? And he goes, yep, that's the big gold dome. And I'm like, yep, then you're passing it. Like, And that's where we are. And so we had a fun chat this weekend about some of the college tennis. Obviously excited to share that chat with Maddie and the rest of our audience today. Of course, the reason we are able to do this here on the Great Shot Podcast is because of the support we get from you listeners, from our Patreon subscribers, and a brand new title sponsor here of the Great Shot Podcast. I was talking it up to both Matt and Chris beforehand, folks. That's how excited we are to have these people with us on the show now because, Chris, it was six presidencies ago probably by now, but you used to play tennis, and I feel like even back in the day, you used Turnagrip. Is that correct? Oh, my gosh. I absolutely did. Well, that is why I am so excited. And Maddie, I feel like you're a Turner Grip as well. I know I use the Turner Grip, and we are so thrilled to announce that this podcast is now brought to you by our friends over at Turner Tennis. And obviously, when we talk Turner Grip, it's a podcast. You're not going to see it, but hopefully you guys know it's that 
bright bluish purple hue. You guys remember the photos back in the day? Is the dress blue? Is the dress purple? Tennis ball, are they yellow? Are they green? I feel like you could do the same thing with Turnigrip. Is it blue? Is it purple? I don't really know. Maddie, what's your take? Um, I've always just considered it blue. Some shade of blue. I don't really know what what shade it is. But yeah, no, I've always considered Turnigrip to be just some sort of a blue. Chris? Not necessarily purple. Now, I will say, though, Groskin, hang on, Chris. When, when you do sweat and there's a little bit of perspiration in there, it does turn a little bit more, you know, towards that purple, that darkish yeah. purple color. But when you put a fresh one on there, brand new, right off the roll, it's blue for sure. Yeah. You know what, Chris, I don't even need your take because Maddie nailed it, as he always does with his nuance. That's why he's your favorite writer for CrackedRackets.com. The student has become the professor, Chris. But but that's not even where my take was going to go because I, <laughs> I'm I'm still stuck, and I, I'm going to have to rely on you, which is very unfortunate. But I'm, I'm still stuck on the six presidencies ago. <laughs> I'm unfortunate. Right. I'm, I'm going to list them right for you. Ready? Is it, Here isn't, we go. Isn't, four, isn't 40 Reagan? Here, uh, I don't know. I'm 41's HW, so yes, 40's Reagan. Wow. Yeah, so, so wow, which is like uh, 80, isn't that yeah, right? Yeah, 80 to 88. Yeah, so, 81. so yeah, that was my high school and into college years. So oh you, my gosh. So you, you nailed it. That was... <laughs> That was my time. There you go. Anyways, that's all a live ad read, folks. That's the sort of excitement our friends at Turner provide, even when we're just talking about them on the podcast. Of course, truly, they are the best grip in the business. Their Mega Tack is the tackiest grip on the market, folks. That's directly from their ad copy. It must be true now. If you want to find Turner Grip, you can find it anywhere. You go and buy your tennis goods. For us here, we find it at MidwestSports.com. You can find Turner there. Or if you're a college tennis coach, you're looking to be sponsored by Turner, you want to get involved with them, you can email sales at UniqueSports.com or call 800-554-3707. Again, that's sales at UniqueSports.com or 800-554-3707. We are so excited to be working with Turner moving forward. They will be the title sponsor of these great shout podcast so i'm excited to do something like this each and every week we can explore a different aspect of the grip moving forward but again check out our friends at turna with that in mind let's start talking about some of the college tennis we saw unfold over the past weekend we have done a lot of i will say justifiably holding Florida to the flames over these past three seasons. Simply put, when you have the talent that they have come through, when you have a guy like Alfredo Perez, who is the number one singles player in the country, playing five singles for you, Johanned Englandson floating in the bottom half of your lineup, Crawford, Riffis, Andrade, Vale, Kessler, you know, nowadays it's Bicknell and Shelton, the list goes on and on. When you have that much talent, there come high expectations. And obviously, when you look uh, at this Florida team particularly early in the season it was disappointing that they weren't able to get over the finish line during the national uh, kickoff uh, national indoor kickoff weekend they take the doubles point over Texas but drop four singles matches you look for this Florida team though they set their season back on the right track this weekend they go to college station which is where I believe we ended last season with them taking a loss and they get a little bit of revenge they earn a 5-2 victory over the Aggies Chris, you're our SEC correspondent, so even before I break down how it all happened, just give me your reaction to this result. Our first, I feel like, big domino falling in SEC play this season. Yeah, I mean, this was the big match, and I felt like it, you know, it was kind of like the text I sent you and Maddie beforehand. I said, you know, I said to you guys, watch, we've seen nothing impressive from Florida yet this year. Watch them run the table in the SEC. And I kind of feel like that's what we're going to see now. Uh, they they definitely came out and you know on the road at a m not the easiest place in the world to play and jumped out i mean quick right they got the doubles point <clears throat> got a whole bunch of first sets they were <clears throat> they were looking good uh right from the start and i don't think it was it was never really in doubt i'll say as i was watching the match when when Lucas Greif failed to close it out early mm-hmm. in the second set when they had that breaker, I mean, it could have been over right there for a 4-1, uh, 4-1 win. 
It got maybe a little contentious, but even at that point in time, Andrade, I think, was up a break in the second. He eventually gave it back uh, and won the match six and six. But it's still, they were never really behind or in doubt, but it got a little closer there. But yeah, it was a pretty pretty convincing win for them. You know, I do my best to try and protect my sources here on the podcast, but we were talking with someone who goes by the pseudonym Frepper Toshe beforehand, and he accused me of not actually watching the matches. I did watch this doubles point unfold <laughs> between Florida and Texas A&M. Obviously, I'm giving Chris grief. He is currently with uh, his nephew, Trevor Foshe. So, hello, Trevor, obviously, in the background. Anyways, uh, at the number two doubles position, Shakhtar and Habib took an early break over Inglitson and Grant, and I believe they were leading 4-2 in that number two doubles flight, and then you know, Inglinson and Grant flipped the script. They started putting more returns in particular at the body of the player at the net for Texas A&M and then, you know, just playing aggressive plus one tennis from there. It was a really impressive display of returning. And then I actually thought the Texas A&M team of Habib and Schechter kind of blinked a little bit. I hate to say it, but uh, especially in that Schachter service game, which is where they got broken back, uh, it just, I'm pretty sure they got broken at love. Like, it was not a clean service game, and obviously, you have to give credit to the Gators. Anytime you can earn a six-love set in college tennis, you're doing something right. Shelton and Andrade earned that six-love set at three. Now, if you're an A&M fan, the fact that Aguilar and Bjorn Thompson seem to be finding their rhythm, they earn a straight set victory over Riffis and Valle, that's good news, but but Maddie, Florida taking the doubles point again, particularly against a Texas A&M team where you know what you're going to get from their top three, but uh, top four really. But finding you know four points always it gets tricky for them if they can't take doubles. That was a huge moment for the Gators. Yeah, absolutely. And and we've been critical of Florida, you know, all year long. And and this I think was finally the first time that we've seen the Gators play you know, up to their capability. And, and again, you mentioned it. We thought that A&M won through four, right? I mean, that's the strength of their team, but Florida gets wins two through five. I mean, I, I don't think we really expected it to go that way. So just a really good performance from the Gators. They need to build on this because, you know, A&M, I, I picked A&M to win the SEC. And, you know, I don't know if that's going to be the case any longer with this type of a result. I just, I hope Florida can keep this up now you know, throughout the rest of the season, but they did what they had to do. Interesting to see Sam Riffis at number three. I was a little bit shocked by that, but I know he hasn't been playing that great this year. So, I mean, it's understandable. Andy Andrade's looked really, really good. And, you know, A&M flipped their lineup as well. We saw Habib and Vashiro flip at one and two. So a few different lineups going on here in this match that we hadn't seen, but credit to the Gators, man, to go on the road and win that match. Not an easy place to play. Um, I think they can build on this. And that's the change we will talk about momentarily. And, uh, you know, that Habib Vashro change is something Chris has been calling for for years now. So I'll get your opinion momentarily to your point, Maddie, about Florida needing to build on this. They have the three most important matches in their season all lined up consecutively in their schedule. So step one, victory. They knock off Texas A&M at Texas A&M. This weekend, they're playing host to Georgia on Friday, and it's a banged-up Georgia team. We'll talk about them in a little bit. And then they play, in my opinion, the front-runner right now in the SEC, given their early season form in Tennessee And we're going to learn very quickly what these Gators are made of and what was so fascinating, as you mentioned, Maddie, the fact that this was the week where we saw Valet 1, Andrade 2, Riffis now at 3, Bicknell at 4, Shelton 5, and then Lucas Greif now in the lineup for them at 6. No Englandson in that lineup, Chris. Your thoughts, you know, your final thoughts on the changes in the Florida singles lineup, and then ultimately, just to be clear for uh, all of you at home, it, it was a match that got played out 5-2 for the Gators. They got a three-set uh, three-set win from Ben Shelton at the number five singles position to clinch it. Other than that, straight-set wins from Riffis, Bicknell, and then a 6-6 six and six victory for Andrade over Vashiro for A&M. Three-set wins for them for Habib over Vale and Perot over Lucas Greif, although that Greif match, again, when it was important, Greif was leading it. Your thoughts on this match, Chris? On the lineup changes we saw as well. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is the lineup we see from Florida going forward. I mean, I don't 
they gave Ingleton the shot and the benefit of the doubt again, and he and he was, you know, he really wasn't uh, wasn't winning like they expected to see him win. So I, I think this is the lineup we see. I will say I was surprised that Greif didn't win his match, and maybe that's a good a good sign for A and M because we've been a little doubtful, right? We know their top four are solid. We've been a little questionable on what we'd get out of Marson and whoever played or whoever played five and six thinking we'd still see Barney Smith haven't seen him in a while uh but if you know Perot's a guy that can knock off Lucas Greif maybe he is is the answer and and yeah the match didn't matter but you know it did matter when Greif was in a tiebreaker in the second set because he could have clinched and Perot fought it off and then ultimately came back and won so you know hats off to Perot and maybe he's the guy but yeah I think this is the lineup we see from Florida going forward Maybe if Riffis gets back into form, he moves his way back up. And to your point, um, I kind of thought, you know, I'm a little puzzled by the fact actually that I always thought and had had said, you know, you know, many times that I thought Habib was the guy to be playing one for AM, but he kind of proved that he should be number two. And then as soon as he proved he should be number two, Vashiro beats Liam Draxel and somehow gets demoted to number two I don't I don't know what happened there it had to be a matchup thing for the weekend and who knows what we'll see see next weekend those guys are just really really close uh so that could go back and forth all year yeah I mean it ended up working and we can get now to some of the other SEC action we saw on the weekend Texas A&M did earn a win this weekend over South Carolina they take the doubles point wins at the number one and three positions and then get victories in straight sets from Habib once again at one singles over Rodriguez a straight set win from Aguilar at three over Thompson straight sets from Marcon and Perot at five and six more good news for them at the bottom of the lineup and then uh, a three set win for Vashro over Lambling. You also had Schachter losing his match in three sets to Toby Samuel of South Carolina. Uh, but again, uh, Texas A&M, a 6-1 victory. That was the weekend for the Aggies. Let's turn now to the team I just proclaimed the front runner in the SEC thus far through the season. And I think that is fair to say about this Tennessee team. You look at them now overall on the season. They're 14-1 this past weekend. They earn a 6-1 victory over Mississippi State. They also earn a 7-0 victory over Ole Miss. Chris, uh, you're the SEC correspondent. Is it fair to say Tennessee right now, the front runner in the conference? I, you have to make them the front runner. I mean, they're the number three team in the country and they're blitzing everybody. I mean, you know, 7-0 and 6-1 over Mississippi State and Ole Miss right after Ole Miss just knocked off uh, Georgia. Uh, you know, that's you can't do much better than that. So, so they're, they're certainly the front runner. And I think that match against Florida this weekend is, you know, it's very likely the match for the regular season crown, given that Florida has already beaten A&M. Now, Georgia is obviously still in the mix if they can get healthy. But as you stated early on, they're a little banged up and they're catching, they're having to catch Florida this weekend. Maybe for them, it would have been nice to get a little more time. Uh, so I don't, I don't think they're going to end up in that, you know, with two losses already in that conversation for the regular season crown. Maybe they'll be back in in, in good shape for for the tourney. But yeah, I think that match this weekend, Florida uh, between Florida and Tennessee, is likely the match for the regular season title. You know, I introduced this theory on the last podcast: four point teams, three point teams, two point teams, one point teams. For this old Miss, te- uh, for this Tennessee team, excuse me, I'm going to introduce a corollary to the theory here. When you play a team enough times throughout the course of a season, you just learn the ins and outs of their games. And I always say, you know, the, for the better team, the first time you play them, it's going to be a realistic telling of the story. The second time you play them, it's going to be dramatically lopsided. All of the, you know, all of the adjustments are going to be made, and the team that's better is going to prevail. The third time is when you get the the dog fight, when it's just leave it all out on the on the table. Well, for this. Tennessee team this was round two against Ole Miss and the first time Tennessee played Ole Miss was during the kickoff weekend that was a 4-2 match that was as close as that 4-2 scoreline indicates Ole Miss 7-6 sets at one in three doubles to clinch the doubles point and then you know Walton had a 6-6 victory over San Cullen Reynolds came back three sets over Monday it was an absolute toss-up 
Well, this time Tennessee beat them 7-0, and they had six straight set victories in singles. Now, it was 6-6 again for Walton, this time against Finn Reynolds, but Tennessee ran the gauntlet against them in this match, Maddie. And when you start to look at them, the double success they've had this season, that's point number one for them in 99% of their matches. We also agree Luka Wiedemann at the number five singles position, that's point number two for them. Do you have them, A, as the front runner in the SEC conference, and then B, are they a two-point team, a three-point team in your mind? Where do you have them right now? Yeah, so... To answer the first question, yes, they're absolutely the SEC front runner. I mean, they've they've really been th- the entire season. They have been from the first match that they played. Um, they've looked that good, and they've earned that spot, top five, top three team in the country. So I have no question about that. They're the right now. They're the best team in the SEC. They are the front runner. In terms of being a two point, three point, four point team, you know, I don't know about all of that. I agree. Like. I just look at their lineup and I think they have so many options, which is a good thing. I mean, they've been playing good dubs. Tennessee always, you know, historically been a very good um, doubles team. And then again, when you've got guys like Walton and Monday, and I mean, Martin Prada has played really well this year and, and Hussey. I mean, you just go up and down the lineup one through six. They're solid every single position you know, it all depends on who they're playing, right? For me to go, okay, you know, they're a lock at five, they're a lock at two or three. You know, I'm not going to say that against every match because there's certain teams in the country where, you know, I'm not going to give them a guaranteed win at five or I'm not going to give them a guaranteed win at four or two. But I think in most situations, they just have to find four. And if they win the dubs point, they're going to be able to split singles with just about any way. I'm confident that they can win three singles matches. So to me, that's all that matters. So again, you're applying nuance to the conversation, which I always appreciate, but makes me frustrated when I'm fishing for a take. Chris, when I fish for a take, no one jumps on the bait better than you. So I'm going to do it to you as well. Uh, Again, Maddie's completely correct. Obviously, at the highest levels of college tennis, it's matchup dependent. For instance, I love Luca Wiedemann against anyone not named Charlie Broom. Like, once it's Charlie Broom, that's a different story. But when we talk in these 3.4 point, 2 point teams, it's generalization, you know, the broader landscape of college tennis. And you answer that question, Maddie, and I know that. Uh, but, Chris, same question to you when you start to look at this Tennessee team now, because it's two months of this. And, you know, North Carolina's only played eight matches, yet we know, like, we feel pretty good about them. Tennessee has played 15 matches. They're 14-1. and one. They have steamrolled everyone they're supposed to steamroll. They're doing the things really good teams do. At a certain point, you just got to let your eyes guide you and, and trust the numbers as well. Two points, three points. I, I, they're not a four-point team. Only UNC and Baylor are in that category. We all agree. But two points, three points. Where do you have Tennessee. Oh, I think three for sure. And I mean, you talk about it. They're they're fourteen and one, and in all honesty, very easily could be fifteen and up. I know it's the I mean, dirty secret. If they win doubles, they, they win that match. They blew a five-two lead in the breaker at yeah. two doubles against North Carolina. They win that doubles point. They probably win the match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, so yeah, where's so, the so where are the three points, Chris? So that well, you're saying are locks. Well, every I'm, time. Yeah, I'm not going to say every time, but I'm going to say the way they played non- out. Non North Carolina Baylor division, non North Carolina Baylor division, man. Yeah, because, because he, it's not fair to guide that as the litmus test because those right, are the so, standards. So year. let's say against like A and M in Florida. Where are the locks against A and M in Florida in Georgia? Right now, for them, I like doubles. I like Wiedemann. I like Monday. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Interesting. So that was my question is, are we now in on the Monday train? Because well, this weekend, three Monday and three over, over, San... over Andrade and over Vashiro or well, Habib. I, hold on. I'm... Three and three over uh, over uh, Tim Sancolin this weekend. He also knocked off Flo Braska six and six. That is good tennis, Chris. I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Maddie. I want to say no because he's a freshman. 
but he beat he okay maybe you're gonna tell me rinky was just coming back from whatever but he killed rinky right he's just not he's not losing i don't like when when he starts losing i'll say no but he's not and you know he so he loses to famba what six and six yeah Uh, i mean i i mean yeah i I'll take I'll take my chances. Yeah, there's a there's a guy in the background with you right now, Chris, who's like been there. Like yeah. Famba six and six been there. Yeah, that was four and six, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I'm just saying be careful if you're counting on that against Florida, A and M, Georgia, you yeah. know. Guy if if you're counting on Monday being in a lock to win the match, I just I think that could easily go the other way if he plays like an Andy Andrade or a Vashiro or a Habib. Yeah, I don't think no. he's a I, I'm not gonna say he's a lock, but I do think that it's gonna be it's gonna be very hard to put them down anywhere less than three points. I mean, because if it's not him uh they've got so many they're just so good everywhere else in, in that's addition. what i was that was yeah. my point yeah yeah i i can't i i'm not gonna say you know there's not a team out there even north carolina i'm not gonna say they're gonna win one two three and doubles every time it's just not gonna happen right ben's gonna lose rinky's gonna lose will's gonna lose they they're not going undefeated all year but most of the time they're gonna win uh, but yeah, I like those guys that, you know, I like Wiedemann. I like their doubles. I like Monday in most of, most of the matches and when they drop one. Yeah. I think somebody will pick it up. I just think it's, you know, I think with North Carolina, we go, yeah, they, they have that at like four spots where you go, it's going to be really hard to get less than four, you know, for them to get less than four with Tennessee. Yeah. I think three points pretty much, you know, I'll take, I'll take them getting three against anybody, even North Carolina. Yeah, and for the record, you took the bait, and we had the conversation I was hoping to have. So thank you as always, Chris. That was a job well done. Yeah, I, you guys nailed it. Maddie. if you don't mind me saying, I think you have them in the two-plus category, where you think they're going to find two. It's just a lot of different options to two, and it really just depends on the specific school, which is fair. I agree with you, Chris, about Monday. I think that's why they're a three-point team right now. He has been that good as the the freshman for Tennessee. Uh, Obviously, they can win elsewhere as well. I think this is a team that just, even if it's not Monday, maybe it's Prada, maybe it's Hussey, maybe it's Walton, that third point is coming from somewhere. And so I just, I agree with you, Chris. I have them as a three-point team. We all have them as the number three team. yeah, three team in the country as well. Uh, but anyways, that's enough Tennessee talk for today. Uh, I want to do one more match quickly, one more weekend, I should say, from the SEC because it was two noticeable results. Georgia also faced the Mississippi Gauntlet this weekend. They came away one and one. Now, they did knock off the Mississippi State Bulldogs in the end, and they did it without their number one singles player and number one doubles player, Trent Bride. Now, uh, they take the doubles point from Croyder Rowe and Salmo Gravilius at the two and three positions, get wins from Zink, Henning, Rowe, and Gravilius at one, two, four, and five to secure a 5-2 victory over Mississippi State. But... Another great win for the Run-In Rebels, who or, uh, who dropped the doubles point, yet still managed to find wins at the 2, 4, uh, 5, and number 1 singles position, all in straight sets to knock off Georgia, shake up the SEC standings. I'm going to go to you first, Chris, as always. What does this do for Georgia? What does this tell you about Ole Miss? Even if you want to throw in five minutes on Mississippi State, I'm ready for it. Your final takeaways from the SEC weekend. And by the way, I feel like I should mention Alabama beat Kentucky. But if we do every match and every upset, this pod will go six hours. So I'm just going to let you cover everything else on the SEC here, Chris. And then, Maddie, obviously your final thoughts as well. Well, I mean, I'm going to start out west and say Alex Cobalt's going to be really upset that you keep calling Old Miss the running rebels. <laughs> You're right. I do. I keep doing it. That's funny. <laughs> it's every week. But, yeah, no, great, great win for, for Old Miss. I mean, they did they did the, the flip this week, and they moved Finn Reynolds up to one and put San Colin down to two. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, good win for them. Bride ends up retiring in that match, which was, you know, kind of the foreshadowing to him not playing against – uh, Mississippi State, but but they had everybody except Croider uh, in there, and so for Old Miss to 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 beat Bride and Grant, he retired. Yes, but I mean Finn Reynolds was up six two three love. He was winning that match, uh, 
and and Sanklin beating Zinc, you know, they they got good wins. That was a quality win. It's a team that's just really hard to figure out. How do you beat the teams they're beating and lose to Memphis? Uh, you know, it's that's it's, it's a little question question mark there. So we'll see as the SEC season goes on for them how it is, but definitely a good quality quality win for them. Uh, and yeah, and Georgia had they did have to turn around. They they looked like they were cruising against Mississippi State. You know, they get. I think it was five of the six first sets and the doubles point. And then all of a sudden they get blitzed in some second sets to make a whole lot of three set matches. And they turned around and, and finished them off like the, the good teams should. So, you know, I think for Georgia, again, it's just a matter of them getting healthy. They did that without bride. They were without zinc the weekend before croyer has been in and out with back issues. Um, so for them, it's, it's just a lot of getting healthy and they're not super, super deep as we saw, they played, uh, you know, they played Britton Johnston against Mississippi State, who took, I'm not looking at it, but I think it was two and one, maybe two and two, uh, a loss at six for them, even though he had won the weekend before. So they really need those, they need those top four guys in Bride, Zink, Henning, and Kreuter to all be in the lineup uh, and healthy for, for them to have a good shot. Matt, I see you shaking your head. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I completely agree. For Georgia, it's all about health. We haven't really seen Georgia healthy throughout this entire season i mean maybe a match or two but not really any of the big matches they they've had guys out so um it's just too tough we know in this conference i mean you're not going to be able to compete with the best teams if you're not fully loaded so yeah number one objective for for the the dogs is just get everybody healthy and i think again if you move a guy like billy Rowe down to five and then you know whoever's playing six i prefer eric gravelius there leave johnston and anselmo out of the lineup um that's going to be their best shot and and then i like georgia i mean i think they can they can put a scare into a lot of teams but until that happens i don't think they're going to be a major threat yeah, given us a top four in the SEC, all these teams going to have a lot of swings, a lot of bites at the apples. So plenty of more SEC conference play to monitor. With that in mind, let's move out west where we had wildness occur. Let me repeat, wildness in a couple of the results we saw on Sunday. Now, fortunately for us here at Cracked Rackets, both of these matches were part of our Cracked Rackets Red Zone coverage on the weekend. We were so fortunate to be able to broadcast both the USC, UCLA, and TCU Pepperdine matches. They were 3.30 and 4 o'clock starts. They were simultaneous four-hour battles. Both teams giving, you know, oh, match points blown and, you know, fishy line calls. You got everything you wanted out of your college tennis Sunday. Let's start with the rivalry, USC-UCLA. It's always funky whenever these two teams play. It started out this season when UCLA, without Drew Baird, without Govin Nanda, without Patrick Zaraj, took the doubles point from USC on kickoff weekend. Now, they ultimately dropped that match 4-1, but that match was about two minutes away from being 4-3. And then here against USC at home, UCLA drops the doubles point. They have a big lead throughout the course of the match at three doubles. Sean Holt and Coulter Smith, though, for USC, able to flip that match around. They get the win at three. Kukerman and Smith get the win at one, should mention. No Stefan Dostinich for USC, nor Ryder Jackson. No Govan Nanda still for UCLA, although we did see him play a pro event last week, so clearly he's healthy right now. More to that story to come later on but you know you look for these UCLA Bruins they responded five first sets going to the Bruins Chris let me want to start with you and I asked this question to coach Brett Macy I won't say his response on the record but if I would have told you Chris that UCLA was going to sweep the top three in singles against USC you would have been like Oh, they won the match. Like, unbelievable. Yeah, and, and, they, without, and, they and without Govin Nanda. And without Govin Nanda. And yet, somehow, the Trojans find a way. I have a lot of takes. I was on the call. You and Maddie weren't. Let's start with you two. And I'll start with you, Chris. Your thoughts on your beloved Trojans. 4 3 Yeah, victory. I don't even know what to say. I mean, I was stunned. I mean, I don't want to go as... I, I don't want to say embarrassing, but holy cow, dropping the top three with no Govin Nanda and you've got Kukerman, Smith, and Bullis all there. I mean, 
yeah, there's there's no way they should have won that match, which just, I mean, good teams find a way, and they did, right? That's what good teams do. But, wow, that's that was absolutely shocking to see Drew Baird take down Riley Smith and Ben Goldberg, your boy, take down more Bullis. I mean, that was that was really, really stunning. And the fact that it all then, you know, basically, I think the entire match was done going into the third set on six. Right. I mean, I think Westrate might have just finished when it was like maybe one love or something in the third for Sands and Zaraj, but very close to being just a full set for the match on six. Maddie? Yeah. I mean, what else do you want me to say, guys? It was just bizarre. <laughs> I mean, it's just a weird, weird match. Um, you know, and the scores are just puzzling. Right. I mean, obviously, we know how good Keegan Smith is. We've talked about that before. So, I mean, two and five against Kukerman. I mean, still a little bit surprised at that. I mean, Cookerman usually would find a way to force that into a third set. And if he loses, he loses, right? Like, I'm not saying that, you know, Keegan Smith can't beat Daniel Cookerman. That's not that big of a shock. But Baird over Riley Smith, three and four? Eh, wouldn't have really expected that. Bit of a shocker to me. More bullish straight sets against Ben Goldberg? I mean, yeah, that's, uh, I'll be honest, that's quite a shocker. Never would have expected that. Luckily, you know, the depth came through and, and guys like Bradley Fry and Jake Sands who haven't really played all that well at times, you know, this season at National Indoors, both of those guys struggled a little bit. Now, Westrate's been good pretty much all year. So, you know, him winning that match um, against Bellamy, I'm not surprised by that. But Coach Macy's lucky that he had his boys, Bradley Fry and Jake Sands come through for him because that thing could have easily gone the other way. And I guess this is just what happens when UCLA and USC play, right, guys? I mean, every single time, you know, like, throw the rankings out, throw the records out. Like, you just know guys are going to be screaming and yelling. It's just one of those rivalry matches that could go either way. And UCLA almost pulled it off. All right, I'm going to rapid fire through my takes. Otherwise, this podcast will end up being six hours. A, the doubles point was Tom was highway robbery for UCLA to drop that doubles point. And I say this lovingly, especially his brother Austin, friend now at this point, and I'm very fond of Connor as well. Connor Rapp blinked. He really did. 4-3 service game. He or I think it was the 4-3 service game. He blinked. They never found their bearings after that, and so USC steals the doubles point. Um, let's start with Bradley Fry for the Trojans. He's going to be in their final six. The power he has, his ability to dictate the fact that he plays on his terms. I know, Coach, uh, Coach Macy's going to appreciate, like, I just, I see it. Like, you just, that's a guy who knows what he wants to do, and that's what you're always looking for, particularly in the five and six singles position. So I do think ultimately it's going to be him and Westrate, although obviously between Sands and Jackson, Coach Macy has the luxury of playing who's ever hot. Right now it really is Fry and Westrate. But just quickly, Ben Gold, or more bullets served for the set, I believe, against Goldberg 5-3. And th- when Goldberg took that tie break and five first sets in the bag, and you know, uh, you know, Bellamy was uh, Ludwig Westrate served for the first set up five three. Jake Sands was leading early in his first set against Siraj. All of those things went against the Trojans and in the Bruins' direction. And these momentum swings in college tennis, whenever you can get them to happen simultaneously for your team, that's usually when the upset happens. Everything was swinging the direction of UCLA. And that it came down to Patrick Zaraj, who in 2019 clinched the victory 4-3 for UCLA over Riley Smith for the Bruins. You're like, this is poetry. It's going to happen again. And I swear to God, and I'm sorry because this happens in college tennis, but you just kind of felt that momentum shift on that four, uh, on that, I should say, I think it was four-all line call. When it was four-all, 30-all, Sands hits an on-the-run backhand passing shot. Zaraj calls it out. Chair umpire agrees. USC gets incensed. I mean incensed. And I'm not going to comment on the merits of the line call because it's whatever. It was one point in the grand scheme of the match. But Jake Sands goes down love 40 in his next service game. I think it was the three-all game, not 4-5, because he didn't go down quadruple match point. And he hits his way out of the trouble. and Or down love 30, excuse me, not love 40. So it may have been the 4-5 service game. And he ends up holding uh, at 30, and it's 5-all. And you could just kind of feel it then that Zaraj couldn't close out that second set at 6-4 after that line call, that everything was starting to go the direction of USC. And it's just... I, I mean, Westrate blew through that third set 6-love against uh, Roscoe Bellamy in like six minutes. 
And then it came down to Sans and Zaraj. And Zaraj sort of got injured. He just didn't have his legs under him. This is where it comes down to the fact USC or UCLA has played, I think, five total matches in 2021 thus far. Obviously, that's never where you're at at the end of February. You could see that come the end of this match. It's a credit to the Trojans completely for stealing this match. But that's what it was, Maddie. It was thievery. Yeah, that's fine. I mean... I'm not going to disagree with anything you just said there. Both teams were missing guys again, right? Neither team was at full capacity, so this was just look. We're it was playing weird. The lineup. It was weird, right? It was yeah. a little weird. It was like, oh, okay, we got some guys out, you know, whatever. I mean, that's the lineup that they were playing on that day. And, you know, I, I give USC a lot of credit because, you know, you can call it thievery or whatever, a choke from UCLA, but – Man, I mean, this thing, like you said, Gruskin was so close, so very close to going the other way. And the fact that kind of an undermanned Trojan team was still able to pull this off in a rivalry match on the road, impressive to me. Um, so, you know, I think you'll see that reflected in my rankings as well when we do our top 10. I have to give them credit for that and, and for their win over TCU, the revenge match. Yeah, absolutely. No, and we're headed that way. And you mentioned that TCU win for USC, 4-0 win for them over TCU at home. USC able to, I believe, take the doubles point in that match. They get victories from Kukerman and Smith, Dostinich and Fry at 1-2. and two. And then it was Kukerman, three sets over Luke Famba, Riley Smith, straight sets over Alistair that's a flipping of the matchups we saw at the National Indoors. And then West straight 4-1 over Paralek to clinch the victory for the Trojans. TCU close to the finish line at number 3 with 7-5-6 all. Sander Jong led when that match finished. And, you know, they were close in the other two matches as well. But a funky weekend for TCU who probably should have lost. Their match at Pepperdine. Pepperdine, another one of those teams with such little match play, and you could kind of tell towards the end of the match. TCU taking the doubles point. Uh, they get first sets, I believe, also from Luke Famba at two, from Sander Jung at three, from Jirasek at four. But then, TC, uh, but then Pepperdine made a run, and five of these six singles matches went three sets. Pepperdine getting the one straight set victory at number six singles to tie the match at one. They also get a three-set win from Sumeraya at number five singles to make the match 2-1. Pepperdine had match points at number one and two. Guy Denudin with a match point serving 5-4 up on Luke Famba. Adrian Otzbeck, same deal. A couple of match points serving up on Alistair Gray. Pepperdine not able to get over the finish line in either of the matches. Ultimately, TCU gets victories at number one, uh, two, three, and four singles. They played out all of the matches. Oh, excuse me. At two, three, and four singles, it was six all in a third set tiebreaker at number one. So a 4-2 match. TCU steals the win. Chris, what happened out West? I mean, the the USC-UCLA match was just a good, tight match. I'm going to reserve the word thievery for this match. Yeah. This match was thievery. I mean... Pepperdine, I'm out to dinner. Hadn't even tuned into your to your broadcast, unfortunately, uh, during the day. I decide to check in. And I pull up the scores and I see where we're at. And I'm like, holy cow. Maddie and I both pull up the broadcast. And I see Oatsbox serving 5-3. I see Uden, I think, receiving 5-3, but, but then getting a chance to serve for the match at 5-4. They serve for the match on both courts. Oatsbox, 40-15 serving. Three match points on his own serve. Can't get him, and then just got blitzed from there. And Uden, same deal. Can't, can't close it out from 5-4. From and yeah, TCU finds a way to turn those two matches. Uh, well, obviously, the first, you know, one was in a breaker when, when it ended, but but uh, yeah, if they if Pepperdine serves those two matches out, you know, it's over. They win. They win the match. You guys want to know why I like having him in the play-by-play booth with me? It's because I was on the broadcast. He did a better job of explaining what happened than <laughs> I did, folks. That's why we talk, Chris, the professor. Maddie, give you the final word on the action out west. What do you make of it all? Yeah, I mean TCU really needed to win that one bad. I mean it would have been it would have been tough for them to drop 4-0 to U, uh, to USC and then turn around and lose again to Pepperdine. I wonder, guys, if this is one of those matches, right? Pepperdine, 
you know, not in a power five conference, you know, they're not always playing these top teams. They only get their shot once in a while. Uh, TCU is a top five team. This would have been a massive win for that Pepperdine program. And you just wonder, like, was that pressure? Were they thinking about, my God, guys, we might actually beat TCU here. Like, I just wonder if that crept into their mind just a little bit and it cost them. Credit to the Frogs. They didn't go anywhere. You know, they they were able to hang around and find a way to squeak that out. But, yeah, I TCU is going to drop a little bit for me in the rankings because – I don't know why Roditi and, and coach Roditi's always been kind of a master at shuffling his lineup at the right times and making the right call. But against USC, when they beat them at indoors, it was um, Alistair Gray at one and Famba at two, but he flips that in this match. Now I know they were playing outdoors here at USC, but man, if it's me, wouldn't, wouldn't you rather have Gray against Kukerman and Famba against Riley Smith? I just like those matchups a little bit better so, you know, Famba against Kukerman, not a good matchup. Alistair Gray against Riley Smith, you know, not that great. So, to me, that was a bit of a mistake there to kind of flip those two at number one and two, and I, I think it may have cost them. Yeah, I mean, TCU's clearly banged up right now. Uh, there's no denying that. And I should say the first two hours of that Pepperdine-TCU match were played in a maelstrom. I mean, just the winds whistling across those cameras uh, in Malibu. That being said, these teams are playing under the same conditions, right? That's not just an excuse. That's the adjustments that have to be made. And TCU's probably played more indoor tennis than outdoors in the early part of the season. It's a credit to them that they were able to pull this match out. But no, yeah, it was it was a funky weekend of play, certainly out west. And again, just a couple more results I want to talk about, Maddie. We haven't gotten to you uh, and our ACC correspondent, Virginia firmly establishing they're the number two team right now in the conference as they knock out both NC State and Wake Forest on the weekend. Your thoughts on the two, I believe, 5-2 victories for the Hoos? Yeah, once again, they they look good and they just affirmed that, hey, this is a solid top five team that can compete for the ACC title this year. I mean, they're going to get their chance uh, to play UNC again. So we'll see what happens in that match. But I think they've been playing really good in doubles. And that's important for this team because, I mean, we know they've got a lot of singles prowess. I mean, Soderlund and, and Dr. Von der Schulenberg and, and Iñaki Montez. I mean, these guys, man, I mean, they're just really, really good. They're a solid young team and, and they're going to be scary for years to come. But yeah, no, I mean, they can compete now. Look, guys, I mean, top five team, Virginia, there's no question about it. They are absolutely a contender, I think, you know, to go all the way. I really do. Their, their performances were very impressive in both of these matches. Dr. Von der Dr. Von. I'm writing that down. Wait, Gruskin, you know, you know what that means? We need to talk to Coach Pedroso. Because on the roster is Jefferson Doctor. <laughs> they, they clearly need to pair him with Jeffrey von der Schulenberg so yes. that we can have the Dr. von der Schulenberg yes. double team. Oh. <laughs> we should stop the podcast probably right here. This would be a good quit point. Uh, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm sold. Um, no, I mean, look, some lineup flipping. Clearly, we think Von der Schulenberg's going to end up at two. He and Montez alternated throughout the weekend. We did see, though, Rodesh at four, Getz at five, Alex Kiefer sliding in at number six. Chris, your thought on those decisions, your thoughts on perhaps the way Wake Forest, we finally see their lineup. It looks like it is going to be Squire, Nava, one and two, Body uh, at three. If Stoflu getting a win over Rodesh, he's starting to work his way back into form at four. Maroney, five. Kungu, six for them right now. I feel like the Wake Forest segment is for a different occasion when we have a larger sample size of what they actually look like, but just your takeaway on all of the ACC play. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we've seen – that Virginia, I mean, Virginia's good. They've got a lot of options. And I think that's a little closer to the lineup we see going forward with when, when they've got, as you stated, Von der Schulenberg at, at two, uh, Montez. The doctor. Three. The doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Von. Dr. Von. And, uh, and yeah, it's going to be a question now. I don't know if that's, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether we're going to see uh, Gianni Ross or Alex Kiefer. Uh, going forward, we at the beginning of the year we kind of thought we were going to see Kiefer and we didn't, uh, and now we're starting to. So, uh, and that's in a 
pretty big match. So so that might be a, a move moving forward. We'll see. But but they're that just that just says they've got depth. They're that's a team that can afford to miss a guy for whatever injury, COVID protocols, tracing, whatever reasons, right? And and they've got plenty of depth right now. So so that that's good for them. And yeah, uh, I I still think they're a little short of being able to take out North Carolina. It's really a. It really is between those two teams in the ACC. And Manny, I see you shaking your head. I want to give you the final word, but pose one more question for you. NC State, five and four on the year thus far. Now the losses are to Tennessee four one, Georgia four three, Tennessee four zero, and Virginia five uh, two. Those are all top borderline top ten teams. Uh, and that four three loss was at Georgia your make of their first two months of the season, then again, your final thoughts. Yeah, I don't think it's gone as well as as they would have hoped for. You know, I know that uh, the Wolfpack had some pretty big expectations coming into the year. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sure they're not pleased with where they're at. But again, they played a pretty tough schedule. I just think in the ACC, guys, it's it's tough sledding. I mean, they've got some matches coming up against really good opponents, you know, that may not be ranked, you know, within the top 15, top 20, but there's going to be some tough outs. And and they've been missing, you know, the, these couple of matches this past weekend for NC State, Yanai Barkai, um, a guy who had been playing in the top four, played in their doubles lineup, but was missing in singles. And that's a bit of a loss because, again, the depth for NC State, with what I've seen recently, isn't going to cut it. You know, those five and six positions, um, I think that could be a little bit of trouble, you know, down there at that part of the lineup. So NC State has to get healthy, and and I think they'll be okay. They're still going to be a competitive team, um, but they're not winning the ACC. I mean, they're not going to compete for it. I mean, I still like UNC, Virginia, Wake Forest probably better, and there's even going to be some other teams up there, you know, that are competing with them as well. So they're going to be, you know, middle of the pack to, to the upper echelon of the conference, but um, that's probably where they'll stay. And one more point on Virginia, guys. Ryan Getz uh, hasn't been playing all that great this season so far, but he slid down to the number five position this weekend, and he excelled. He picked up a couple of straight set victories um, at that number five position. So I think if he could, if Coach Pedroso can afford to play Ryan Getz at number five, man, I mean, you start talking about a lock, like that's a guy at number five that you can almost pencil in every time, you know, if he's feeling his game. So I like that for the hoops. No, I mean, Rodesh was so successful as five as well. So it's like, do you really want to, you know, ruin a good thing? That being said, I agree with you about Getz. For North Carolina State, the question is, do they have enough left on their schedule to earn a top 16 seed? Because the competition for that is going to be stiff. And I mean, they still have two against UNC, one of them a non-conference bout that's on the schedule. They still have South Carolina. They still have Wake Forest again. So they'll have some chances. They'll have the ACC Conference Tournament as well. But yeah, no, it, it it's absolutely a fascinating position. And Chris, if you have any final thoughts on them you want to throw in, obviously feel free. But you look at some of the other results, the only no- other notable one I don't think we've hit yet because we've hit a bunch of them. 2-0 Michigan weekend, that's only relevant to me. Huge 4-3 victory for my Wolverines over Ohio State on the women's side. Kari Miller clinching 7-6 in the third. Yeah, she blew a 5-2 lead in the third set. We can let that slide considering she won the third 7-6 in the end. Anyways, um, looking beyond that, Texas only plays 4-3 matches, so I suppose we shouldn't be surprised that they went 4-3 again against Tulane. But just your thoughts on the other results and final thoughts from the past week of play. Yeah, well, I think one of one of the ones you got to call out is 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 Memphis, right? Beating uh, they beat Arkansas, that makes them three and one against the SEC. Granted, they're picking on the uh, well, Ole Miss is not the bottom end. They beat Ole Miss, right? But now they've beaten Vandy, they've beaten Arkansas, the one lost to Mississippi State. So that's a great win uh, for a Memphis team uh, there. You mentioned the. Uh, you already mentioned the Alabama win over Kentucky, which I think was a big one. Uh, and I, I have no idea where you're going with your match of the week, Gruskin, but I'm going to give a shout out to Rob Galloway's Wofford Terriers with a 4-3 win this weekend. Tell me that's where you were going. 
No, I thought ah. about Tusculum College over UNC Asheville. My result of the week is a shout-out to Super Producer Daniel Westoff. Unfortunately, his St. Louis University Billikens just short 4-3 against Illinois State this weekend. Illinois State taking, uh, dropping the doubles point but getting wins at 1-2-3-6. and six. Uh, But anyways, Maddie, your final thoughts on the week's action? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. That's all I got. I think we've talked about, we've touched on quite a bit here, guys. Yeah, no, that's what we do here on the show. And of course, the week ahead, we've got Baylor versus Wake Forest. We were supposed to have Baylor NC State today. Unfortunately, that match getting canceled, but we do have Baylor versus Wake and Arizona State. We've got Georgia taking on Florida and South Carolina. Florida taking on Georgia and Tennessee. A&M, I believe, uh, is playing, I want to say, Mississippi State this weekend. So we've got that as well. Should be a really fun week of college tennis. And of course, we will be back next week to recap it all. But with that in mind, only one thing left to do. We do it every week here on the show. It's offer our updated top 10 rankings of these teams across the country here to give you an updated look at where we think everything stands in this 2021 season. Now, for the sake of time, for the sake of brevity, I think it's safe to say all of us, well, first of all, Westoff, give me that top 10 ranking sound effect, please. But I think it's also safe to say all of us are going to have the same top four. I think we're all going to hold UNC at one, Baylor at two, Tennessee at three, Virginia at four. Uh, Maddie, I know you feel that way. Chris, is it safe to say you feel that way as well? Yep. So with that in mind, nothing changing with our top four. Let's pick things up at number five. This is where things get interesting because now there's a lot of transitive wins. USC has gotten revenge against TCU. Florida has knocked off Texas A&M. What do you do with Illinois? What do you do with Ohio State? A lot of good questions. I'll go to you first, Maddie. Give me your number five team. Uh, yeah, so f- my five through ten is just all jumbled up. I don't even know the rhyme or reason to half of this, but <laughs> good. I just I went with what I felt like going with. I'm just glad this is fluid, and I can change it again next week. So, uh, you know what? Screw it. Number five, USC Trojans. Oh, Maddie. Maddie, Maddie, I'm doing that, it. That's amazing. Uh, Coach Macy, send me a shirt. Liking, yeah, send me a shirt or something. Yeah. No, I realize I've ripped. I've ripped on them enough this year. Look, they they got two good wins. They they blitzed TCU. That was a revenge match. I, I thought that was a really good job. Um, and then again, to 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 sneak out that four three win over UCLA shorthanded. Now I know UCLA was missing some guys as well, but that was a match that could have easily flipped the other way and they found a way to pull it off. So um, I'm going to put USC at five for me. Chris. I have Ohio state at five. Uh, I was afraid you were going to say that. So do I, I also have the Buckeyes. It's just a transitive thing. They beat my number six team who is Illinois. They also lost to my number four team, Virginia. So it's like, given that, like, it feels right for the Buckeyes. Like, I can't now overreact to their loss to Virginia, given how good Virginia looks. So I moved Ohio State up to five. That was enough of a justification for me. Does that sound about right to you, Chris? The Ohio State part of what you just said sounds about right. Yeah, no, but then we get to number six, where I have the Illini because they beat USC and, like, they beat Virginia without Kovacevic. They lost to Ohio State and Baylor, but so what? They're going to be my number six team. Who do you have number six, Chris? I have USC number six. Ah, so I have the Trojan seven. So it's not crazy, by the way, that you guys have them there, and I don't ridiculously disagree. But Maddie, who give me your six and seven? Okay. Uh, so my six is Ohio State, and my in my seven. You guys are just disrespecting the Illini because there's no way Chris has Illinois seven. I I I so like give me it, your number Maddie. seven. Team, we got to counteract Gruskin. <laughs> wow. 
Okay. Florida. Well, one big win. There's our SEC homer. He's back. We missed you, Chris. It's good to see you again. Uh, I'm. Uh, yeah. Um. So look, uh, in terms of the teams in the discussion, I, I think I mentioned this already. I have USC seven. Like I, I don't think it's outrageous with their wins. It was a, it, it was the weekend from hell for them at the national indoors. As they get healthy, if they finally get to play all six of their guys in one weekend, we still don't know what that lineup looks like. That's why I have them a tentative number seven. But you know, Illinois did beat them in their current form, so I have to respect that win for now. I have TCU 8, right, because they have beaten Baylor. They played three four three matches at the National Indoors. Clearly, they're right there on the level. Uh, but Florida at 7, Chris, that's a spicy take. I, I don't know, you know who you have at number 8, but I'm curious to see who you dropped off to put them there. So you've got TCU at 8. I've got, I've got TCU, TCU at, eight. at 8. Maddie, who do you have at 8? Okay. And your number seven. I have Florida. Who's your number seven, Maddie? Maddie's my guy. Okay, so you have Florida at eight. My number seven was TCU. I guess you guys are just higher on Florida. Yeah, Illinois is the thing that ruins me. I'm going to ruin our rankings by having Illinois as high as I do. Well, not ruin them. I'm going to make them accurate, I should say. Um, Yeah, look, I have Florida in my top ten. We'll get there. I do not have them at number nine. At number nine, I have to keep the Texas Longhorns because I just – continue to be fascinated by them maddie Ooh, i like that chris I do as well you're I shaking your head oh sorry nine. go ahead i mean look Tay. look texas is lost they played baylor twice they have three losses on the year they've lost twice to baylor and they also lost to tennessee at national indoors you're talking the number two and three teams in the country i mean come on yeah look i, I, I got everything keep texas you just said in there. chris I you made a noise nine. that makes it sound like you disagree Uh, yeah, I don't have Yeah, I don't know I've if I Texas should punish A&M. Texas A&M. They really haven't played that much yet. They dropped out of my top 10 to number 11, where number 10, I have the Florida Gators right now, simply because they beat A&M. So they deserve to be in the top 10 for now. They are the best of the rest. Maddie, you're shaking your head. That makes me think you have Illinois here, and we're going to agree on our 10 schools. I do. I do have Illinois at number 10 with Texas A&M right outside at number 11. And that's due to the loss to Florida. I had to bump Florida in there. Yeah. Uh, Five because to 10, that, throw a dart at the board. Fluid, Make the yes, case. I do have you. Chris, who's your number 10 team? Right. Okay. So we have the same 10 schools. Well, My number except 10 for Texas is Illinois. A&M gets included in one place. And you don't include no. Texas in your top 10, uh, yeah. which is a bold move by you, Cotton. Uh, but nevertheless, um, I, I, you oh, should be happy, Gruskin. Well, I have them in that context. Number 12 great behind ranking. Michigan. Uh, no, no. No, it was so funny. So there's a correct interview that will come out, <laughs> out next week with UNC head coach Sam Paul, and he's listing all the good schools across the country. He's like, yeah, you know, Ohio State wasn't there and uh, at the national indoors, and NC State wasn't there, and Texas A&M wasn't there, and then he stops, and I go – and Michigan wasn't there, and he was like, oh, yeah, 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 and Michigan, and I was like, yeah, come on, and he goes, Stanford, I was like, don't forget the Wolverines, but no, we all agree on nine of the ten schools, and, you know, again, it's not as though Texas A&M is far off for me and Maddie, so with that in mind, Chris, did I buy you enough time with that little story to calculate the rankings? All right, give me the rundown. We know the top four. UNC 1, Baylor 2, Tennessee 3, UVA 4. Start at 5, work our way down. 5 is Virginia. uh, I'm sorry, 5 is Ohio State. Big movers for them this week. Congratulations. 6 is USC. Okay. 7 is TCU. Eight is Illinois. I feel like I'm missing someone here. Eight, Illinois. Florida? Yeah, it's actually out. Eight is Florida. Nine is Illinois. All right. That and feels, ten is that Texas. feels fine. That feels fine. Not great, but fine. Yeah. So A&M, so A&M yeah. is left off. Yeah, I was the only one that had it in. And they, yeah, stats, and that wasn't enough. And Texas is still in six. front of them. Um, All right. Yeah, no. Yeah, well, the thing is, they beat USC. Yeah, that's too high. And they beat Virginia. 
without Kova. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't argue the results. I just wouldn't bet on them. Like I said, I wouldn't bet on them to beat Ohio again, State. I wouldn't bet on do, them, but that is the our track records top 10. And again, that is our recap of this past week of college tennis. Of course, we will be back here next week to break it all down once again, recap the biggest storylines, recap all of the biggest results. If any storylines, breaking news emerges, we'll be sure to cover it then. If you have missed anything else going on in the tennis world, you can find it all covered at our website, crackrackets.com. As always, I will ask you like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Mini Break Cracked Interviews podcast as well. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Uh, with that in mind, Maddie has a look on his face that says, Alex, if you ask me if, I've, if I have any final thoughts, I'm going to slap you across the face. So I think we're going to skip that this time and just get to the final words. Uh, so with that being said, for my wonderful co-host, Master Koya, Chris Heliors, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Turner Grip. I'm still getting in the rhythm at well, but shout out to you, Turner, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell the people? Hey. Great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.